Question 76 of Summa Theologica Secunda Secundae. Treatise on the Cardinal Virtues. The Virtue of Justice. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Summa Theologica Secunda Secundae. Treatise on the Cardinal Virtues. The Virtue of Justice by St. Thomas Aquinas, translated by the Fathers of the English Dominican Province. Question 76. Of Cursing in Four Articles. We must now consider cursing. Under this head there are four points of inquiry. First, whether one may lawfully curse another. Second, whether one may lawfully curse an irrational creature. Third, whether cursing is a mortal sin. Fourth, of its comparison with other sins. First article, whether it is lawful to curse anyone. Objection one. It would seem unlawful to curse anyone for it is unlawful to disregard the command of the Apostle in whom Christ spoke according to 2 Corinthians 13.3. Now he commanded, also in Romans 12.14, Bless and curse not. Therefore, it is not lawful to curse anyone. Objection to further. All are bound to bless God according to Daniel 3.82. O ye sons of men, bless the Lord. Now the same mouth cannot both bless God and curse man, as proved in the third chapter of James. Therefore, no man may lawfully curse another man. Objection three further. He that curses another would seem to wish him some evil, either of fault or of punishment, since a curse appears to be a kind of imprecation but it is not lawful to wish ill to anyone. Indeed, we are bound to pray that all may be delivered from evil. Therefore, it is unlawful for any man to curse. Objection 4. Further, the devil exceeds all in malice on account of his obstinacy. But it is not lawful to curse the devil, as neither is it lawful to curse oneself. For it is written in Ecclesiasticus 21.30, While the ungodly curseth the devil, he curseth his own soul. Much less, therefore, is it lawful to curse a man. Objection 5. Further, a gloss on Numbers 23.8, How shall I curse whom God hath not cursed, says, There cannot be a just cause for cursing a sinner if one be ignorant of his sentiments. Now one man cannot know another man's sentiments, nor whether he is cursed by God. Therefore, no man may lawfully curse another. On the contrary, it is written in Deuteronomy 27, verse 26, Cursed be he that abideth not in the words of this law. Moreover, Eliseus cursed the little boys who mocked him in 4 Kings 2.24. I answer that. To curse, maledicere, 
is the same as to speak ill, malum dicere. Now, speaking has a threefold relation to the thing spoken. First, by way of assertion, as when a thing is expressed in the indicative mood. In this way, maledicere signifies simply to tell someone of another's evil, and this pertains to backbiting, wherefore tellers of evil, maledici, are sometimes called backbiters. Secondly, speaking is related to the thing spoken, by way of cause, and this belongs to God first and foremost, since he made all things by his word, according to Psalm 32, verse 9, he spoke and they were made. While secondarily it belongs to man, who, by his word, commands others and thus moves them to do something. It is for this purpose that we employ verbs in the imperative mood. Thirdly, speaking is related to the thing spoken by expressing the sentiments of one who desires that which is expressed in words, and for this purpose we employ the verb in the optative mood. Accordingly, we may omit the first kind of evil speaking which is by way of simple assertion of evil, and consider the other two kinds. And here we must observe that to do something and to will it are consequent on one another in the matter of goodness and wickedness, as shown above in the Pars Prima Secundae, question 20, article 3. Hence in these two ways of evil speaking, by way of command and by way of desire, there is the same aspect of lawfulness and unlawfulness. For if a man commands or desires another's evil as evil, being intent on the evil itself, then evil speaking will be unlawful in both ways, and this is what is meant by cursing. On the other hand, if a man commands or desires another's evil under the aspect of good, it is lawful, and it may be called cursing, not strictly speaking, but accidentally, because the chief intention of the speaker is directed not to evil, but to good. Now evil may be spoken by commanding or desiring it, under the aspect of a twofold good, sometimes under the aspect of just, and thus a judge lawfully curses a man whom he condemns to a just penalty. Thus, too, the church curses by pronouncing anathema. In the same way, the prophets in the scriptures sometimes call down evils on sinners, as though conforming their will to divine justice, although such like imprecation may be taken by way of foretelling. Sometimes evil is spoken under the aspect of useful, as when one wishes a sinner to suffer sickness or hindrance of some kind, either that he may himself reform, or at least that he may cease from harming others. Reply to Objection 1. The Apostle forbids cursing strictly so-called with an evil intent, and the same answer applies to the second objection. Reply to Objection 3. To wish another man evil under the aspect of good is not opposed to the sentiment whereby one wishes him good simply, in fact, rather is it in conformity therewith. Reply to Objection 4. In the devil, both nature and guilt must be considered. 
His nature indeed is good and is from God, nor is it lawful to curse it. On the other hand, his guilt is deserving of being cursed, according to Job 3.8, Let them curse it who curse the day. Yet when a sinner curses the devil on account of his guilt, for the same reason he judges himself worthy of being cursed, and in this sense he is said to curse his own soul. Reply to Objection 5. Although the sinner's sentiments cannot be perceived in themselves, they can be perceived through some manifest sin, which has to be punished. Likewise, although it is not possible to know whom God curses in respect of final reprobation, it is possible to know who is accursed of God in respect of being guilty of present sin. Second article. Whether it is lawful to curse an irrational creature. Objection 1. It would seem that it is unlawful to curse an irrational creature. Cursing would seem to be lawful chiefly in its relation to punishment. Now, irrational creatures are not competent subjects either of guilt or of punishment. Therefore, it is unlawful to curse them. Objection to further. In an irrational creature, there is nothing but the nature which God made. But it is unlawful to curse this even in the devil, as stated above in Article 1. Therefore, it is nowise lawful to curse an irrational creature. Objection 3 further. Irrational creatures are either stable, as bodies, or transient, as the seasons. Now, according to Gregory in his commentary on Job 4.2, it is useless to curse what does not exist, and wicked to curse what exists. Therefore, it is nowise lawful to curse an irrational creature. On the contrary, our Lord cursed the fig tree, as related in Matthew 21, verse 19, and Job cursed his day, according to Job 3.1. I answer that. Benediction and malediction, properly speaking, regard things to which good or evil may happen, notably rational creatures. While good and evil are said to happen to irrational creatures in relation to the rational creature for whose sake they are. Now they are related to the rational creature in several ways. First, by way of ministration, insofar as irrational creatures minister to the needs of man. In this sense, the Lord said to man, in Genesis 3.17, Cursed is the earth in thy work, so that its barrenness would be a punishment to man. Thus also David cursed the mountains of Gilboi, according to Gregory's expounding in the commentary on Job 4.3. Again, the irrational creature is related to the rational creature by way of signification, and thus our Lord cursed the fig tree in signification of Judea. Thirdly, the irrational creature is related to rational creatures as something containing them, namely by way of time or place. And thus Job cursed the day of his birth on account of the original sin which he contracted in birth, 
and on account of the consequent penalties. In this sense also we may understand David to have cursed the mountains of Gilboa as we read in 2 Kings 121, namely on account of the people slaughtered there. But to curse irrational beings, considered as creatures of God, is a sin of blasphemy, while to curse them considered in themselves is idle and vain and consequently unlawful. From this, the replies to the objections may easily be gathered. Third article. Whether cursing is a mortal sin. Objection 1. It would seem that cursing is not a mortal sin. For Augustine, in a homily, on the fire of purgatory, reckons cursing among slight sins. But such sins are venial. Therefore, cursing is not a mortal, but a venial sin. Objection to further. That which proceeds from a slight movement of the mind does not seem to be generically a mortal sin. But cursing sometimes arises from a slight movement. Therefore, cursing is not a mortal sin. Objection 3 further. Evil deeds are worse than evil words. But evil deeds are not always mortal sins. Much less, therefore, is cursing a mortal sin. On the contrary, nothing save mortal sin excludes one from the kingdom of God. But cursing excludes from the kingdom of God, according to 1 Corinthians 6.10. Nor cursers nor extortioners shall possess the kingdom of God. Therefore, cursing is a mortal sin. I answer that. The evil words of which we are speaking now are those whereby evil is uttered against someone by way of command or desire. Now to wish evil to another man, or to conduce to that evil by commanding it, is of its very nature contrary to charity whereby we love our neighbor by desiring his good. Consequently, it is a mortal sin, according to its genus, and so much the graver as the person whom we curse has a greater claim on our love and respect. Hence it is written in Leviticus 20 verse 9, He that curseth his father or mother, dying let him die. It may happen, however, that the word uttered in cursing is a venial sin either through the slightness of the evil invoked on another in cursing him, or on account of the sentiments of the person who utters the curse, because he may say such words through some slight movement, or in jest, or without deliberation, and sins of word should be weighed chiefly with regard to the speaker's intention, as stated above in question 72, article 2. From this, the replies to the objections may be easily gathered. Fourth article. Whether cursing is a graver sin than backbiting. Objection 1. It would seem that cursing is a graver sin than backbiting. Cursing would seem to be a kind of blasphemy as implied in the canonical epistle of Jude in verse 9, where it is said that 
when Michael the archangel, disputing with the devil, contended about the body of Moses, he durst not bring against him the judgment of blasphemy. Where blasphemy stands for cursing, according to a gloss. Now blasphemy is a graver sin than backbiting. Therefore, cursing is a graver sin than backbiting. Objection to further. Murder is more grievous than backbiting, as stated above in question 73, article 3. But cursing is on a par with the sin of murder, for Chrysostom says in his homily 19 on the Gospel of Matthew, When thou sayest, Curse him down with his house, away with everything, you are no better than a murderer. Therefore cursing is graver than backbiting. Objection 3 further. To cause a thing is more than to signify it. But the cursor causes evil by commanding it, whereas the backbiter merely signifies an evil already existing. Therefore, the cursor sins more grievously than the backbiter. On the contrary, it is impossible to do well in backbiting whereas cursing may be either a good or an evil deed, as appears from what has been said in Article 1. Therefore, backbiting is graver than cursing. I answer that, as stated in the first part, in Question 48, Article 5, evil is twofold, evil of fault and evil of punishment, and of the two, evil of fault is the worse. Confer Pars Prima, Question 48, Article 6. Hence, to speak evil of fault is worse than to speak evil of punishment, provided the mode of speaking be the same. Accordingly, it belongs to the reviler, the tail-bearer, the backbiter, and the derider to speak evil of fault, whereas it belongs to the evil speaker, as we understand it here, to speak evil of punishment, and not evil of fault except under the aspect of punishment. But the mode of speaking is not the same, for in the case of the four vices mentioned above, evil of fault is spoken by way of assertion, whereas in the case of cursing, evil of punishment is spoken, either by causing it in the form of a command, or by wishing it. Now the utterance itself of a person's fault is a sin, inasmuch as it inflicts an injury on one's neighbor. And it is more grievous to inflict an injury than to wish to inflict it, other things being equal. Hence backbiting considered in its generic aspect is a graver sin than the cursing which expresses a mere desire, while the cursing which is expressed by way of command, since it has the aspect of a cause, will be more or less grievous than backbiting, according as it inflicts an injury more or less grave than the blackening of man's good name. Moreover, this must be taken as applying to these vices considered in their essential aspects, for other accidental points might be taken into consideration which would aggravate or extenuate the aforesaid vices. Reply to Objection 1. To curse a creature as such reflects on God, and thus accidentally it has the character of blasphemy. Not so if one curse a creature on account of its fault, 
and the same applies to backbiting. Reply to Objection 2. As stated above in Article 3, cursing, in one way, includes the desire for evil, where if the cursor desire the evil of another's violent death, he does not differ in desire from a murderer. But he differs from him in so far as the external act adds something to the act of the will. Reply to Objection 3. This argument considers cursing by way of command. End of Question 76 Read by Michael Shane Craig Lambert, L.C.